The Press Gallery this week is brought to you by Callaway. Callaway's new Apex irons are the ultimate forge player's distance iron. They have unmatched feel, distance, and control, which have been forged perfection to deliver category-defining performance. Callaway's 360 face cups generate industry-leading distance and unmatched feel, and they'll get every golfer's attention. Tungsten weighting in each iron fine-tunes the launch trajectory and delivers tremendous control. See perfection in every shot with the new Apex at your local golf retailer, or you can visit CallawayGolf.com and see what makes Callaway the number one irons in golf. Anyway, you can, you can subscribe to the Press Gallery on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast now. Feel free to drop me a line, egraney at postmedia.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, June 7, 2019, and this is the all-night filibuster fun edition. With me today around the table, my gonna be again legislative reporter colleague Claire Clancy. How are you, mate? I'm good, and I'm so excited to come back to the ledge. I've been missing all this exciting political news. She was jealous. There was filibuster (laughs) jealousy going on. I was. I was so jealous. I love your legitimate nerdery about this. It's great. Um, Janet French, our education reporter, who has been valiantly filling in. Get me out of there. (laughs) Oh, Oh, you've been doing an excellent job. I've been so delighted much with gamesmanship. All of this. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and our boss, Sarah O'Donnell. How are you, Sarah? Good morning. I'm wonderful. Thank you. And I've just been happy with all the work at the legislature. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in today's episode, we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to be talking about the insane filibuster that broke the record for a Wednesday sitting. Uh, that was exciting. We had a two-day Wednesday. We're also going to talk about the new Education Act. That has been brought in by the United Conservative Party government. And we're going to also be addressing the missing, murdered Indigenous women and girls report that was released on Monday formally and what that means for Alberta. I do want to start off with the filibuster because for anyone who is a little bit of a process nerd, this was quite the fun thing. Basically, they started sitting. uh, They came back into the house at 7.30 p.m. on Wednesday And they wrapped up at 7.45 p.m. on Thursday night. And the debate went the entire time. So it was a full 24 hours and 15 minutes, I suppose, Mm -hmm. in the House. The quirky nature of the Westminster system and how Hansard is recorded means that technically in the Alberta legislature, it was Wednesday from all of actual Wednesday up until 7.45 p.m. on Thursday. Because time does not matter. Apparently. I love that. Yeah. It's like you're on a long-distance flight constantly <laughs> changing time zones and then like so you actually exactly. have like a day yeah. that is like 36 hours long. But at yeah. some point when they dealt with the military, like the D-Day recognition, yeah. and then all of a sudden when they did that, it was Thursday. Yeah. And then they went back to Wednesday. Yeah, but it's all going to be Amazing. recorded in Hansard as Wednesday. <laughs> so the reason this came about was that the NDP is unimpressed with the UCP well, on many accounts, but specifically this was about Bill 2. Now, this is a whole bunch of changes to labor law. So under Bill 2, we are bringing in, Alberta is bringing in um, a reduced minimum wage for students under age 18. So instead of the $15 per hour minimum wage, it will be a $13 per hour minimum wage. It also brings in some changes to how unions are organizing. It goes back to old rules that were under the uh, PC dynasty. Then it does some changes to overtime. And now this is what the NDP were drilling 
down on during this whole debate and their plan of attack was that they want more Albertans to understand what the changes to overtime means. Now, it's pretty simple to explain. Overtime under Bill 2 can be banked at straight time rather than time and a half. Currently, overtime, unless you have an agreement that says otherwise, needs to be banked at time and a half, which is actually the case in pretty much every single other province in Canada that this is this is how it is. It's either double or time and a half in most other provinces. So Bill 2 will roll that back so that the standard becomes you bank overtime at straight time. Now, the NDP argues that this is taking money out of the pockets of working people. In fact, they've called Bill 2 the pick your pockets bill, catchy NDP. Um, and their argument is because in, for example, the oil and gas sector, in the construction sector where people bank a lot of their overtime hours, it means that now they're technically going to get less from what they earned before. Sarah, do you think that the NDP have a point here? I think they they do have a point. I mean, they are trying to draw attention to an issue that matters to all kinds of people in Alberta. I thought it was interesting of the many issues that are confronting the legislature this in this current session that this is the one that they've really chosen to focus on. I, I mean, I guess we time there's still time on the calendar. We'll see how much how much um, will they filibuster, for example, on the Education Act, for example. But from the very beginning, they've been very clear that the the wage issue, the overtime, uh, that was going to be the key place where they focused all of their energy. Energies. And I wonder if maybe this is something that they they talked about during the election and they they tried to raise the issue about the changes that they argued the UCP would make. Um, I wonder if if in hindsight they they wish they'd focused a little bit more on that or not. Did they have they talked about that at all? I mean, I'm not I'm not there for every single scrum. So Clancy, you followed them around during the election. Yeah, and what I well what I was going to say is I think um, they did talk about uh, their opinion being that the UCP was attacking workers' rights, but right. definitely I think the social issues and obviously um, pipelines and jobs were were much more kind of uh, top of mind. Um, after the election, though, Rachel Notley gave a speech to the Alberta Federal of labor, where she indicated that they would likely filibuster anything related to uh, breaking down any uh, labor rights that the NDP put in place. And what I thought was interesting about that um, was at the time, this was a few weeks ago, I spoke to political analyst um, Dwayne Bratt from Mount Royal University, and he said that deciding to filibuster policies that the Alberta population voted on, it could be perceived by some people as almost a slap in the face to voters because these policies, we should say, weren't surprising. The UCP campaigned on them. They said they were doing this. Nothing here was new. So I, I do find it interesting that it was this that the NDP decided to put all their weight behind. And it's interesting because the NDP, their argument about this filibuster is that voters didn't vote on this policy because Jason Kenney has said multiple times, this will not cut worker overtime pay. And their argument is, but it does because instead of being able to bank time and a half, you're only able to bank time. Therefore, you're losing that extra half of pay, of, of time, which translates, you know, money or time. If you're not getting it paid out, time then is money. money. <laughs> exactly. So that is the NDP's point here. And that's what they say they're going to work to try and get across to Albertans. In fact, Rachel Notley said yesterday she had a press conference at Northern Chicken, a fried chicken joint here in Edmonton, as her colleagues were all in the legislature kind of continuing on with their filibuster at 10.30 in the morning. 
And she said, we don't think enough attention was brought to this during the election, so we're going to try and make people understand exactly how much it impacts them. And it impacts like 400,000 workers around Alberta, most of them are oil and gas, some are in construction, and this is actually having an impact. And you're right, Clancy, because Rachel Notley has said at multiple times, we're going to use every tool in our toolbox. Yeah, so she ba- she's made no secret of the fact that if it's a bill that they perceive to be attacking workers' rights, they're going to do what they can. One of the things you saw with this is the enthusiasm that comes with a new group of MLAs. I I suspect that if you were in the fourth year of a term, you wouldn't have such enthusiasm for a filibuster necessarily. I mean, I think that, you know, both parties believe that they are arguing the right side of this, the UCP from the business side, because they believe that anything that encourages uh, business and promotes that and allows gives business a way to expand, et cetera, et cetera, is ultimately good for Albertans. And then you have the NDP arguing about the impact on individual workers and uh, and and how that affects people and affects everyone. Um, but, you know, so you, you have those two points, but, you know, they the, the stories you guys came back with is, you know, they're, they're bringing in the waffle makers, <laughs> oh, yeah, t- you know, yeah. So, so beyond the policies, I mean, the, the process, right? And I mean, they, they're they all elected. They probably are political nerds in the way that we are, right? So they're like our first <laughs> filibuster and they're turning it into something to discuss policy, but also they're they're making the best of it in a way. You guys should talk more about that because it was kind of funny. It was funny. Janet, you went to a couple of scrums um, while I was on <laughs> yeah. my way to Northern Chicken. <laughs> so you talked to Darren Billis, the NDP House Leader, and Jason Nixon, the UCP yeah. House Leader. So can you give me a sense yeah, of what they, they were saying? Yeah, they just basically doubled down on those positions. So so uh, Darren Billis, so it's been a lot of time explaining the the uh, the toolbox to us, the <laughs> political nerdery toolbox. So he said there's actually the way it works and the reason that you can filibuster, if you're interested, and I know you are, um, <laughs> is that everybody gets to get up and talk for 15 minutes, except the leader of the opposition who can talk for up to 90 minutes on a bill. And the weird thing is this was like second reading of the bill, not third reading. I don't know why they chose to do second reading, but this this filibustering may not be done because it still has to go to a committee and it has to go to a third reading as well. And they said that the NDP said, or Bella said, that they do plan to introduce amendments in Committee, committee of the whole. Of the whole yeah. yeah. So anyhow, yesterday, the way that he said that there's four different ways that they can... Um, go through and give everybody a turn. So if there's 24 of them and then they can each, they can manipulate the system. So each can talk four times and that's 24 times 15 minutes times four (laughs) plus Rachel Notley's up to 90 minutes. And I, I don't know if she, I haven't checked hands her to see if she used the full 90 minutes, but Very it, seemed, close like, to it, it yeah. seemed like she was up for quite a long time. And at some point in the morning when she looked a little haggard, she was, she kind of looked up dreary eyed and was like, how long have I been talking? <laughs> I was like, oh man, I just, I feel for all you guys in there. Oh my God, there uh, were some tired yeah. faces and, by the and time. And Jason Nixon was, uh, he was very energetic and he's just like, he had this hilarious quote yesterday where he's like, all I have to go back to is an empty hotel room because my family doesn't live here. So <laughs> if they want to hang out with me at the legislature all night, I'm cool with that. I'm down. Let's get it on. <laughs> Did they, had they both been in the house all night? I know Nixon yes. had, right? Yeah. No, Nixon. We asked Nixon how long he'd been up for, and he was like, I don't know what time I got up yesterday, so more than 24 hours. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And and Billis as well had been up all night. Ain't so. no party like a filibuster party. Yeah. yeah. And then you kind of hear all these stories, like people trying to get naps places, like you know, Speaker Nathan Cooper was trying to get a nap, and then there was a protest outside the legislature, so it woke him up. 
<laughs> he was enjoying this immensely, I think, just because of the aforementioned political nerdery aspect of the, of the whole thing. I Maybe see another video. I was just going to say another explanatory video might be coming. Yep. Well, he did tweet out at one point that, and this was on Thursday afternoon, he tweeted out, if we pass 5.24 p.m., it's going to be the longest Wednesday sitting in the history of Alberta's legislature, and then added a photo of a fridge full of Red Bull. (laughs) (laughs) So I went up into the house for the very end. People looking up, they're like, Emma, and you know they're punch drunk when they're just kind of like, oh, look, it's (laughs) (laughs) When MLA, who I will not name, um, admitted to me that she fell asleep yesterday. (laughs) 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 She leaned back in her chair for a while. Uh, Not at all. How could you not, though, really? I don't know. So, I I mean, I guess the long and short of it is that the NDP feel like they did a good job in terms of, you know, pushing their agenda and making it a longer story than it otherwise would have been and perhaps trying to raise public awareness around what they seem to be an attack on overtime. Uh, The UCP, Jason Nixon, got up at the end and said, well, I've not been swayed by any of it. Go us. <laughs> we passed it second reading anyway, and the bill passed second reading. And I think it's brought attention to um, the issue in a way that it's going to be on everyone's radar now, more so to watch the long-term impacts, I think. So in a year or two, we're going to start to see what are the consequences on the number of jobs. So for example, organizations like the Alberta Federation of Labor, C.D. Howe Institute have talked about how this actually could have a negative impact on employment for 18 to 24-year-olds, which we know in the young in that category already, young men have been having a harder time recover from the recession. So I mean, it's definitely as a news editor, I'm tuning in. Those are numbers that I'm going to be looking at closely in coming months and years to see what happens there. So it it certainly has brought some awareness to the issue. Stay in school. (laughs) Stay in school. Speaking of schools, let's go over to the Education Act. Nice segue, Janet. Good job. It's almost like you not intentional, but a lucky break there. So the UCP has introduced its Education Amendment Act. Thank you very much. Allow so, me to explain. So this is do. this is a legislative mess, uh, like process-wise. So, yep. so here is what happened. A decade ago, they started working on the Education Act. Uh, when I say they, I mean the former PC government. That's so long ago that I was education reporter at the time. Oh. <laughs> How many kids did you have then? Oh, two. Two. 2009. Okay. So, I got married that year. I only nice. had just come to. I'd been in Canada a few years. In the Sorry, donut I was shop. still Sorry. single and ready to mingle. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt with a oh, random no. insertion about Sarah. Let's make this podcast all about anyway, Sarah. Sorry, is... back to Janet. So, oh yeah, school. So, Education Act. Uh, the PC government decided they wanted to uh, tweak some changes so that we give school boards a little more power. Uh, change a little bit about. Um, the way students were seen by the system and could move through the system. And so they proposed all these changes. I think it took like three times to get through the legislature until 2012. And then they were like, oh, yeah, this is the fundamental piece of legislation that runs the school system in Alberta. So we're going to need some time to write some regulations because a lot of the Education Act is like listing all the things the minister can make regulations about. Right. And the lists are very long. And so they started writing regulations. And then there was a whole other second consultation period during these regulations. And then... Surprise, NDP government, before any of it got enacted or finalized. And so then the NDP, when they were elected, took a look at this Education Act that was passed but unproclaimed and took a look at the regulations and went, "Mm, we don't think 
we need this. We've done, they did some of their own consultation, consultation round three, and heard from a lot of school trustees like, actually, yeah, we have some pretty substantial concerns about some of this. And so what they did was they passed several pieces of legislation in the interim that amended only the School Act. So the School Act is the current piece of legislation that basically tells the education system how to run in Alberta. And so uh, that may have been a tactical error in hindsight, because they did not modify the Education Act, because as far as they were concerned, they were like, well, we don't need that thing. It's, you know, it's dead. It's it's garbage. It's recycle. And so one way for uh, Jason Kenney to take, to come into government and say, we don't want to keep some of the changes that the NDP made regarding to gay-straight alliances and rights for LGBTQ kids and staff in schools, instead of going through the optics of repealing Bill 24, which which granted students and staff those extra protections, all they had to do was take the Education Act and replace the School Act with it. But there were some changes that the NDP made during their four years that the UCP wanted to keep, that they thought were good changes, but they hadn't modified the Education Act. They'd only modified the School Act. Are you with me? Yes. yes. This is a cluster. Blah, blah. It's a it's a cluster floof. Yeah, cluster floof. Yes, <laughs> that's what we say. Uh, yes, I'm nodding approvingly. Yes, no, that no. is what that we is say. What we say. <laughs> yes, yes, mom, yeah. got it. Yes. So, in order to proclaim the Education Act, which they which Jason Kenney promised they would do in their education platform on the campaign trail, but what they didn't say is we need to amend it first. And the amendments are substantial. They fill a five page chart. Ooh. So, so part of this chart is actually, although it's all, thank you very much, people at Alberta Education for the chart, because it was super helpful for us in the technical briefing. Um, a lot of the stuff that's the most controversial about this change, you will not see in the bill, because it's already in the Education Act. So it is a bit of a, to, to explain what's going to change, we can't necessarily just talk about what's in the bill. We have to talk about the consequences of A, amending the Education Act, and B, replacing the School Act with the Education Act. Right. And the Education complex. Act doesn't need to pass the Education Act only needs to be proclaimed. And so the only thing that needs to pass through the legislature is Bill 8, which makes those changes. So do you want to know what some of those changes are? Yes, please. Very much. Like, and, and I must say like, our stop readers... Blathering. No, I must say, and our readers do too. I mean, this Education Act, I think it's really important to understand throughout the election and through, you know, continuing uh, in terms of just what what people are interested in reading about, anything about this Education Act, anything that helps explain it has been tremendously interesting. So, and, and well-read, we can tell from the numbers of people reading. So, <gasps> I like my education they, uh, every, really Everybody does. Really well, I mean, me. I think it's because it is it is complex and people are needing help navigating it. Mm -hmm. So yes, please talk about the chart. <laughs> well, and like half the school trustees in Alberta and the Alberta School Boards Association keeps making this point, half the school trustees in Alberta um, were not school trustees when the first three rounds of consultation took place. They don't know what's in this thing. They're like, what is what is this thing that we allegedly consulted on that we've never seen? So <laughs> so we've been waiting with quite a lot of anticipation to see, like, what do you want to keep in the Education Act? What do you want to change? What do you want to take from the School Act and put in the Education Act? And what don't you? So like I mentioned already, the sort of the thing that the NDP are focusing most of their attention on is the fact that it would turn the clock back to 2014 when it comes to LGBTQ rights and the ability to form a GSA, which means that or a student has the right to ask a principal for a gay-straight alliance in school, but no longer does the principal immediately have to grant it. There's no timeline given. And so, so they could kind of go like, yeah, they can, sure, no problem. They'll and be then like, yeah, just let it. me talk to the school board first. Or, and so what, what they, the NDP had heard from students is that some schools, 
And some schools were great about it. Some principals were dragging their feet, were um, coming up with excuses for why they couldn't create a GSA. And also, it doesn't necessarily guarantee them the right anymore to use the words like gay or queer in their club name. So what you would see at some Catholic schools, for example, is that they have a human rights club or a... Uh, inclusion club or something like that. They don't want to use LGBTQ terminology. Some people in the LGBTQ community say that that's not okay, that it's it's still erasing them or minimizing them if they can't even use the labels that they feel represent them. Uh, the other issue, and I'm honestly still trying to iron this out because I've been staring at this legislation for a couple of days, <laughs> is that uh, right now, all schools in Alberta, public, private, charter, Catholic, have to have these policies that say, hey, um, not only do we promise to provide you with a safe and caring environment in schools, but you have rights. You have rights under the Alberta Human Rights Act. You have rights under the privacy legislation. This protects you from being outed in school. Um, and we're not allowed to tell anybody about it unless there's extreme dangerous circumstances. In some of those policies, it goes as far as to like to point to what do we do if a, if a trans kid is in school and needs to use the bathroom or needs somewhere to change? What do we do with that? So Public school boards, publicly funded school boards will still be required to have those policies and everybody will be required to have a code of conduct. But uh, now they'll all be required to have policies. All schools would be required to have policies, but they won't have to be public. You don't have to put them anywhere. Oh, so What's and right now it's like right now it's like, well, that's the thing is, is it's like if, a, if somebody writes a policy and no one sees it, does it make a sound? Right. <laughs> um, exactly. And so uh, I think this is actually the, one of the most interesting changes, because that is why um, a bunch of private schools are in court suing the government because they the, they were very prescriptive about what these policies had to say. Right. And they're saying, like, no, that contradicts. This is impinging on our freedom of religion. We will not. We refuse to take out Bible clauses that say that marriage is only between a man and a woman, and that's the only context that children can be raised under. I'm still not exactly clear what is going to be required of those private schools. I tried to ask the minister, like, I read her a couple of these policies that have these pretty traditional Bible verses in them. And I was like, is that acceptable by you? Like, what's the, what are the, how can you say you have a safe and caring and inclusive environment if you've got, you know, a policy that says, oh, sorry, you know, heterosexual marriage is the only definition of marriage. What are the consequences for the schools or is that acceptable under the Education Act? And she didn't answer the question. We have to move on really soon. Is there anything else oh, we really yeah. have to know here? There's actually other changes in there that are not just to do with GSAs and LGBTQ kids. So, for example, uh, the Education Act, so the act that was going to come in, was going to raise, raise the age of access to 21. So right. you could you could enroll in K-12 school up until age 20 and take classes for free. Uh, and then the UCP decided they were not going to do that because it was going to be too expensive. Right. And they were also decided they were going to raise the dropout age to 17 from 16, also not happening because of cost and also because they say it's not 2012 kids aren't dropping out of school to go work in the patch. Like, it's not the problem that it was when that first came in. Those That's so interesting to me, though, because it was progressive conservatives who brought that through. Um, ministers like Dave Hancock, who, after hearing everything, really felt strongly that there needed to be bigger safeguards in place to help students complete. I mean, we see the immense appetite there is at the for a fourth year of high school in Edmonton, right? Edmonton Catholic is having to expand its campus for a fourth year to programs in the South as well because there's such demand. And I know that our dropout rate is improving, but as as you've written, Janet, it is still 
a far cry from where it needs to be. And over and over and over again, people have seen children, uh, teenagers who, you know, drop out at some point, but then realize when they're 18 or 19 that they need to go back and they need to get that because it's very hard to have a successful adulthood without a high school diploma. And the progressive conservative governments of the past had recognized that. And that's why they put it in the Education Act. And yeah, it does cost money, but it is a surprise to see it being pulled back. I, I thought there might still be progressive conservative voices uh, within this new UCP caucus who would be arguing that case. But yeah, I mean, you know, what else costs money is putting people in jail and um, giving them social assistance checks. So it's, a, I guess, it's a long-term cost versus short-term cost, right? Yeah, and Prevention I mean, maybe, versus outcomes. maybe we will see a UCP government try to fill some of those gaps further in the post-secondary field. I mean, that's the, the more traditional way that has been that has been gone. But, you know, right now, it's just, it is notable that that wasn't something that the NDP had pushed forward. Um, that, and it was obviously something they also didn't bring in because they didn't yeah. adopt the education. And action. it has to be the costs. Yeah, I, I just, it, it does. I can only, I yeah. mean, they know that that's going to cost a lot more money. And it's partly mm. be related to another story I worked on this week, which is kids with disabilities were turned away from a fourth year in a Calgary Catholic school. Um, because they said there's no room for you and it costs too much money. Anyway, I just want to highlight a couple other really interesting changes in the Education Act. One is that they're lifting the cap on the number of charter schools in Alberta. Right. So yeah, even that though- was a, That was an election a, promise. Yeah, election promise. Maximum of 15 right now. There are only 13 operating, but then the UCP accused the NDP of making it really, really hard to get a charter. We're going to have to wait until we see the regulations to see how that's actually going to, the definition of a charter will change. Uh, also give school boards some more power. So things like- you don't like a school trustee that you work with and that school trustee has been very, very naughty and violated the code of conduct, you can fire that school trustee. Woo. Hang on so. a second. You can fire a trustee, but they're voted in. Yeah, I know. So you can just fire someone who has been democratically elected. Yes, that is correct. That is That's an a thing. interesting Do you want to know change. another thing? Here's a thing. Yeah, um, I love things. Here's a thing. This is going to be a thing. I've been seeing some pushback on Twitter about this. Under the Education Act... A Catholic person can run for Catholic or public school board or can vote in the in the election for public or Catholic school board. A non-Catholic person can only run for public school board or vote for public school board. Huh. Is there going to be a charter challenge on that? If Something to do I with was religion or? Luke Fevin, shout out, I might just purposefully <laughs> try to vote for the Catholic school board and file a charter challenge. There's an idea for you, Luke. Luke is a Luke is a secular activist from St. Albert. Who oh, okay. Is very active on this file. I see. I see. Yeah. There are some big changes here. We're going to interested to see how they all end up rolling. Many out. podcasts full of so many. To work with. I want to move over to the report that came out this week. Clancy, do you want to talk us through what happened here? The missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls report. Yes, sure. So, final report from the two and a half year national inquiry was released on Monday. Um, a leaked version of the report was released um, from CBC, actually. A few days earlier. So, you know, people had some time to look at what some of the recommendations would be. They're calling them legal imperatives, I should say, not recommendations. The inquiry filed over 230 um, what they called like calls to action or legal imperatives um, on how to prevent violence against Indigenous women and girls. Um, and the it covers such a broad spectrum of issues from health to justice to, um, you know, changes within media, extraction industries, um, child welfare. And it's really it's very broad. Um, what's important here is that all of the recommendations 
are relevant for all levels of government in Canada, all jurisdictions. And so obviously as provincial reporters, it's important to look at what the implications are for Alberta. So that's kind of what I was doing this week. Um, and because we've covered so closely the child intervention file in Alberta, that was kind of a starting point for me. Honestly, I think you could spend, it's a 1200 page report, you could spend weeks reading it and looking at all the different issues that that are going to be relevant for the province. But I wanted to look at um, the child intervention system, and some of the recommendations made. And so what's interesting is that the province under the NDP government had launched a child intervention panel that wrapped up its work in March of last year. They made many, many recommendations about how to change the welfare system in Alberta, which currently about 70% of the kids in provincial care are Indigenous. So a lot of the recommendations made provincially were things like more culturally sensitive supports, um, transitional supports for children who are older as their time under government care comes to an end, um, and more control in within Indigenous communities over how the welfare system is run. And what was interesting was that some of the calls to action in the from the National Inquiry were, were quite similar. Um, and so I thought that was kind of an important place to start, I guess, with this report. And Janet and Emma were able to chat to uh, the Children's Services Minister, Rebecca Schultz, about what exactly is going on with the child intervention panel. And it seems like right now we're not totally sure where that's at. Yeah, I get the feeling from the minister that um, they're a new government, right? Like they're trying to get wrap their heads around their files. They're trying to understand exactly what they need to do, where the priorities lie, et cetera. So when we asked um, the minister about this, Rebecca Schultz, the children's services minister, she said, you know what, I haven't had a chance to actually read that entire report yet, wrap my head around it, but we're going to be having consultations. We're going to be talking to stakeholders. We're going to, you know, basically be going out into the communities and figuring out exactly what we need to do about this. Yeah, I think she said she'd already started meeting with people who were involved yeah. in the child intervention panel. It's important to note that, you know, I went to the Edmonton hearings when the inquiry was here. And this is an issue that you could say disproportionately also affects Alberta. Um, the inquiry did actually have more case files from Alberta than almost any other province. There was a separate uh, there was a separate report for Quebec, but it's uh, it's definitely an issue in Alberta that's ongoing. I've talked to indigenous activists and advocates over the last several years about this issue, and uh, you know what was a bit distressing, I think, was this week when I was chatting to people, including um, people from friendship centers in the area, they said kind of, well, here's another report with more recommendations. Let's see what actually happens. And so as with every other report about trying to diminish disparities with the Indigenous community in this province, you have to end within the country. It's all about what action the government takes. And as provincial reporters, I'm really interested to see whether they take this seriously or not. The calls to action, not just incumbent upon federal governments, right? I mean, it, exactly. although we do think of it as federal jurisdiction, um, I think is very clear in the at least the parts of it that I read that said like, hey, this isn't just on the feds. Yeah, it's and too. Some... and local governments and policing, right? There is this report, there was, you know, the initial coverage of this of this final report focused a lot on the the use of the term genocide and the meaning of that. And I think there are some really important conversations to have about that. But 
looking at the other recommendations and getting down those cannot those should not be lost in a debate about terminology because ultimately all of these families um we want to make sure that all Albertans are safe and protected and uh that the problems that we have had in our past that are need to be addressed um, that we're taking steps to change things for the future of future Albertans. And the inquiry itself was controversial in so many ways. You know, over the last couple of years, I spoke to so many families who were frustrated about the process and feeling as though their voices weren't being heard. There were staffing issues with the inquiry. It's It's been a really long journey, I think. And now we're at the point where we have these recommendations. Let's see what happens. I do want to also just add that I talked to Edmonton Police Service because they handed over more files than any other city jurisdiction in the country. They handed over 15 of 22 requested files. And um, that was much more than what a lot of people were able to do or or did uh, according to the inquiry numbers. And um, they said they're going to be reviewing the report and taking the recommendations seriously, or at least the staff sergeant I spoke to did. All right, let's move over to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we've read or seen or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy. Clancy, do you want to kick us off, mate? Sure. I'll recommend a podcast. Yay. No. Yeah. I'm going to recommend you? a podcast that I have actually recommended it before, but it's a new season and it, there hasn't been a new season in a long time. Um, and it's so excellent. It's one of my favorite podcasts. I waited with much anticipation for the new season of Ear Hustle, which is a, um, a really fantastic podcast made inside San Quentin Prison in the U.S. And um, one of the hosts, actually, his sentence was commuted by the governor. And so he's actually now on the outside and will be doing interviews with people kind of as they transition out of prison life. And then they have a new host on the inside still doing kind of what the previous seasons were about. And I, it's just the first episode was great. I love this series. It's gotten really amazing um, feedback and reviews over the last couple of years. And I think I haven't met anyone who's listened to it and hasn't enjoyed it. So. Right on. Janet? Uh, I would like to recommend a piece by a former Edmonton Journal intern, Ainsley Cruikshank, who's now with The Star in Vancouver. And they're doing a series of uh, stories about a bigger picture looks at climate change. And she did a piece about atmospheric rivers. Raise your hand if you've heard of that before. What? No. Her piece is called A River in the Sky, and it's about these ribbons of like huge rivers uh, of moisture in the air that are moving around and how they're becoming more swollen and extreme and the kinds of deleterious effects it has on, you know, us, humanity, people. So it can, it, they, they think that they're responsible for some of the major like mudslides and landslides in, in uh, BC. And, but they, they, they've tied actually, she ties a bunch of different incidents around Canada and the world to these atmospheric rivers, which I'd never even heard of. And I learned something and that wow. was cool. Intriguing. Um, I'm going to rec- recommend a book that I just finished called Yes, We, in brackets, still in brackets, can, Politics in the Age of Obama, Twitter and Trump. It's by Dan Pfeiffer, who if you guys have ever heard, he has a podcast called... Um, Pod Save America. He worked very closely with Obama. He was one of his comms guys. He was one of his advisors at one point as well. It's an intriguing look at journalists and the media and how everything plays into US politics now. And I think there are definitely some parallels to be drawn with Canada as well. He's quite a funny dude as well. So there are some, it's it's fun to read and I've enjoyed the footnotes as well. I don't usually enjoy footnotes. <laughs> But that sounds great. Dan Pfeiffer and Terry Pratchett are the two people whose footnotes I have enjoyed. Um, Sarah, take us on. 
I want to recommend a series of uh, stories that the Anchorage Daily News has been doing in conjunction with ProPublica as part of their local reporting network. Um, it's it's uh, sobering stuff. Sorry, it's not exactly the happiest stuff to end the end the show on. But the series I'm going to recommend is Lawless. Uh, it was published about a month month ago, maybe two months ago, and it revealed that one in three communities in Alaska has no local law enforcement. So this has a lot to do with policing and safety and security in northern communities, especially that are fly in, fly out, or you know, winter roads, that kind of thing. Um, I thought there was a lot probably we could take from it uh, and think about in terms of Canadian Canada's north. Um, they're looking at this issue specifically through the lens of sexual assault and rape. Um, subsequent reporting is focusing on the death of a three-year-old and the impact in a northern community and just how the you know lack of law enforcement and a whole other range of issues have contributed to this. So I'll, I'll share a couple of different links with Emma, but it's an ongoing series that's work that they're going to keep doing. And uh, it's very powerful journalism, and I've been very impressed with it. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me, Claire Clancy, Janet French, Sarah O'Donnell. As always, do subscribe. You can find us, well, wherever you're listening to us now, I guess. <laughs> Leave us a rating if you would be so kind. It does help and tell your friends about us. We'll be back again this time next week with more Press Gallery. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.